Welcome to Income for Baby Boomers. If you want to learn about exciting new businesses each week from other boomers who speak your language and have started a unique and profitable business from home, you have come to the right place. For those who would like to try some of these low investment opportunities, stay tuned. We'll help you get started in your own profitable adventure. Now with your host and entrepreneur, Ken Queen. I'd like to introduce Bob Berg, the writer of The Go-Giver and several other books. How are you doing, Bob? Doing great, Ken. Thanks for having me with you today. I know there's many things you've done in the past, Bob, but what I'd like to start with is maybe just go back to your entrepreneurial roots. Uh, are you one of these guys that uh, you know had the uh, lemonade stand and you were an entrepreneur since then, or when did it all happen for you? Yeah, pretty much, though I never uh, had a paper route, actually, uh, oh, okay. uh, which is always surprising to people. It kind of surprises me, looking back on it, because I am the type that would have, but always did have things going on where I was always trying to make a buck. But it was always much more about the adventure <laughs> involved right. with it than anything else. Okay, so uh, you, you got the bug early. What would be one of your first profitable uh, ventures at any level? Well, I don't think I ever found anything really profitable when I was a kid. <laughs> so, okay. Um, right. But I, I would say really, you know, once I, I got out of broadcasting because I began as a broadcaster and then got into sales – and in sales, although I was always working for another company, I was always very much, I always considered it my own company. You know, when I, my sales career was always my own company, and I always had two clients, the people I worked for and the end users of my product or service. And so it was when I decided to then go into business, teaching sales skills and teaching networking skills and teaching those things that had worked for me and those people that I had uh, trained as a sales manager, that became really my first profitable entrepreneurial venture. And let's face it, as sales, uh, no sales, no money. <laughs> well, so exactly. You, you are you are an entrepreneur. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the company might give you a minimum wage or something so they can control you, but you know, they'll want it all back the next week if you had a bad week. So really, you you are paying your way uh, totally. All right. So you started what type of company first? What after broadcasting? Uh, I was selling uh, radio and television advertising. And mm -hmm. then I was selling solar energy hot water heaters to homeowners. And this was back, you know, this is 30 years ago or so, a little more than that. So it still hadn't really caught on. Uh, it was basically a new thing. But it was a, it was great. I enjoyed that so much. And I really felt that's where I really, really learned to be able to sell. Because that's a lot of direct selling. That's that's tough. Uh, yeah. That's tough stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. And so uh, what venture did you actually own then first would be that you actually you know ran yourself? Well, I then started a basically a sales training business. Okay, so you did sales training. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. And so if someone was to take up sales training today, well, how did you start it then? Uh, and then maybe we'll compare it to what you would do now <laughs> differently. Well, once I realized you could actually have a business doing that, which was really, you know, it was really speaking. My my topic was on was on sales, and really as a subset of that, it was more it was on networking. It was cultivating mutually beneficial relationships with people that led to a referral business. And my specialty was really, you know, working with those organizations that. They loved what they did. They believed in what they did, but it was difficult for them to go out and really 
sell only because they didn't consider themselves to be salespeople. So I, uh, my, my goal was always to, to provide them with not only the tools to be able to do so, but the confidence to be able to do so, understanding that sales is a good thing. Unlike uh, what many people think of selling when they think of, well, it's trying to convince somebody to buy something they don't want or need. Actually, selling is just the opposite of that. Selling at its most basic fundamental level is simply determining or finding out what someone does want need or desire and helping them to get it. And what a professional salesperson does is my good friend and a great entrepreneur, Sean Woodruff, always says a great salesperson simply connects the benefits of their product or service with the needs or wants of their prospective customer. Super. So really, it's not a matter of trying to get someone to uh, a square peg to fit into a round hole. You're doing sorting. So you're sorting out okay, these people need this, these people need that, and that's what you're going to sell them. You're not trying to, to give them something you, they don't need. No, exactly. Or depending upon what you sell, it might be something that they want. Because when you think of it, you know, nobody needs a Mercedes-Benz, but they might want a Mercedes-Benz. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so people buy what they, what they need, what they want, and often it's more what they want. But, it, but that, again, just depends on what you're selling. I've got you. Now, this first sales training, when you first started it, how did you get it off the ground? What, uh, how did you advertise? How did you, how did you make it happen? Well, first thing I did was I joined the National Speakers Association, which is an association of paid professional speakers. And it, it's not so much about learning how to speak, although that's one of the competencies, but it's, it's more the business of speaking. It's understanding that speaking, like anything else, is a business and needs to be run and marketed as such. And I think for any of the boomers listening to you that might be either looking to go into their own business or they're, they've just started one and they're, it's kind of slow going and they, they're feeling at a loss, the first thing I always suggest is simply find out what the people who, who are successful doing what you want to do, find out what they've done. Don't try and reinvent the wheel. Don't try to invent the wheel. Don't try and reinvent the wheel. It's already been invented regardless of what you want to do. So seek out and find the information. Someone has written a book about it. Someone is teaching a seminar on it. Someone is doing paid coaching on it. There's maybe an association of similar people you can join, but you're not in it alone. Find out who else is doing it or has done it. Find out what they do. Learn it. Learn the system. I I define a system as simply the process of predictably achieving a goal based on a logical and specific set of how-to principles. The key is predictability. It's knowing that if it's been proven that by doing A, you'll get the desired results of B, then all you need to do is A and do it consistently enough. So you have to take it, you have to learn the system, you have to take action on it, and then you have to be persistent, understanding that uh, there's a lot of no's on the way to yes, And you have to have enough belief not only in yourself, but belief in what you're doing and belief in the value that you're adding to the world through your product or service that that'll keep you 10 feet tall and bulletproof when the no's start coming, which they will. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. So the first thing is learn how to do it. Uh, learn the system. All right. Is, do you think there's always a room in every category? Let's let's say, okay, I want to be like Tony Robbins. Well, there's a million guys like Tony. He's at the top of the group probably. 
is there still room for another, you know, Tony Robbins too, or, or or a Ken Queen too in this case? I think there's always room. I mean, you you probably won't be as successful a, a speaker and, and coach and entrepreneur as Tony Robbins is, but do you have to be? You know, I mean, that's no. Tony. He's earned his success and he's been at it for I don't know thirty years or whatever, and he's accomplished what he's accomplished. Uh, you know, the world is a is a big world. We can live on the creative plane. It's not so much what anyone else has done, although we can certainly utilize that for our own motivation. You know, we can say, wow that person's achieved a great level of success. What have they done? You know, is there anything that I can duplicate? Is the way they're doing it congruent with the way I'd want to do it? And we can learn. We can learn from everyone. But uh, it doesn't matter who, you know, there's there's Tony Robbins and there's a whole bunch of other very, very successful speakers who I know who are great people and have accomplished fantastic things. Very few of us have gotten to where Tony is. I certainly haven't. But again, he's Tony. I'm Bob Berg and Scott McCain is Scott McCain. And Dondi Scumachi is Dondi Scumachi, and we, we all try to add, and Ken McQueen is Ken McQueen, and we all try to add value in whatever way we can. I've got you. Okay. Uh, so when you started your, your sales training, what were the first steps? You went to the National Speakers Association, joined that, maybe took some of their courses. Uh-huh. Uh, at that point, did you try to create your own web page, or, or what was your next step once you uh, took some courses or, or joined them? Well, I'm afraid that was before the web had really gotten <laughs> okay. other than the, with the college professors and the uh, government employees. But no, I... I Got the uh, the trade and Profe- National Association of Trade Professional Association directory. I bought the state and regional association directory. Uh, I had this the, the telephone, and I learned a, basically a, a, a script that was used to to find the decision makers, qualify the decision makers, and if they were qualified and interested, send the correct information to them. Follow up, follow up, follow up. I also would position myself within that market by writing articles for their magazines and doing all those things and uh, began to build the business uh, slowly but surely. And then uh, my first book came out actually in in 94, I think, called Endless Referrals, How to Network Your Everyday Contacts into Sales. And that, again, helped position me as a, for lack of a better word, as an expert in the field. Not calling myself an expert. I'm just saying that a book helps you to position yourself as such. Well, if you don't call yourself an expert, no one else will. So call yourself that. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I would call myself an authority and let other people call me an expert. (laughs) Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, it's better to have the buildup from others. I've got well, you know, one of okay. the uh, one of the best, most successful people in uh, direct response advertising, as well as copywriting, his name is Joe Polish. He's out of Arizona, and Joe has a what I think is one of the most profound sayings in that regard. Uh, he says, "What other people say about you is infinitely more believable than what you say about you. So let other people say it." That's good. good <laughs> but sometimes you got to go out and ask them to say it because that's where that's where endorsements and testimonial quotes come in. And it means that when you have a an ecstatic customer, you ask them you know, for a testimonial, for an endorsement and, and so forth. So we, we can't necessarily sit back and wait for it either. All right. Let, let's uh, go back to that time as far as dollars. So you started to uh, network, uh, make sure that uh, you were phoning all the associations that were related to the field that that you uh, knew the sales background in. How long did it from the start of the day that you started to do your own thing to you started making, uh, say, a thousand a month? How long did that take? Uh, I would say 
gosh, probably just a couple or a few few months. But, you know, then again, my even back then, I think while my speaking fee was very, very low compared to what it would uh, what it is now, 30 years or 25 years later, what have you, you know, it was still 750 or a thousand dollars or something like that. I mean, it was still had to be something to. So it wasn't that, that it was difficult to make the thousand dollars, but it was with everything else it took to set up a business. Was it profitable? That's the big thing. <laughs> How long before you were profitable? That was probably a couple of years. Okay, so it took two years. Okay, so that was back then. Now, if, if someone was to be over, if you were over their shoulder helping them and they wanted to set up their whole sales training, and with your help now and with the internet and everything, what would you recommend they do? You're over their shoulder and say, okay, you're not going to, you're going to do some of the things you did before, but you're going to do a bunch of new things, social networks and so on. So what would you uh, be telling this man now today to start his own sales training company? Well, part of it would depend on if by sales training we mean speaking, like I did, or if he was looking to work with local companies uh, and so forth, because there are many things you can do depending upon who you're looking to get in front of. And so someone who was, let's say, going to start a, a sales training company, let's say they were going to start locally, and they weren't looking to get fifteen or $20,000 a talk. What they were looking for was to just have a bunch of really good you know, individual coaching clients that they were going to train or and maybe get into different companies, but they wanted to do it locally. Well, the first thing I would suggest to them, let's qualify it by saying that they really already know their stuff. You know, they're already great at the how-to aspect of it. Okay. okay? And they've, right. they've put together a good training program. So we're stipulating that they already are very competent at what they're doing. So let's say they were going to go locally with something like this. I would suggest that they start to speak for free at every civic club, group, organization, real estate company, car dealership, insurance agency, anywhere they could, and just do as many 20 to 30-minute talks as they could. Uh, and what this would do is get them in front of a lot of people, but not just for the sake of getting them in front of a lot of people. What they would do is they'd give a very compelling 20 to 30-minute talk, giving really, really good value, but certainly making it obvious just by what they're doing that there's a lot more that people can benefit from doing business with them. And then at the end, what I would have them say, what I would suggest they say is something like, uh, and before their final story, because I don't believe in ending with the sales presentation, I believe you you end with a really upbeat story. But before that, you do your little one or two minute talk with a couple of benefits of what people would get from doing business with you through your sales training. But then say, I do uh, speak for uh, local companies on increasing their sales, as well as you know very intense one-on-one -on -one sessions with qualified people. So if you're interested in knowing more about something like that, take out your business card. So I would tell them to take out their business card. I would not say, come and get my business card or come and get this, this information. No, what you want to do is you want to get them raising their hands and identifying themselves as a prospect. So I say, uh, take out your business card and write on the back of it either company training or individual coaching or individual training, and then at the end, bring it up to me, and either I or someone from my office will get back with you in a couple of days to set up a, an initial meeting. So basically what you've done with that is you've given them a taste of the great exceptional value and your, your knowledge and wisdom, and then you have qualified them by having them give you their card so that you can then follow up. One question I have here is some claim 
that during that 20-minute talk, you give your very best stuff, and others keep the good stuff back. Which, what do you recommend? I don't think it's an either-or. I, I think if you don't have more than 20 minutes of great stuff to share, you have really no business being a sales trainer. So yeah. I say what you do is you take one segment, okay, and then you give that your best 20 minutes. You don't hold anything back. You hold you're nothing, talking about hold, how to train salesmen or whatever. Hold that's. nothing back. If 20 minutes is all you have and you'd give everything away in 20 minutes, you shouldn't be in that business. There's so you. much more. So you give. So let's say that you know you're going to talk about how to meet someone in an initial conversation to even get the process started. You can do 20 minutes on that and provide some excellent information. So people come away from it, even if they never used you and have really learned something. But there's no way in just 20 minutes they're ever going to get the benefit from your training than if they utilized your ongoing services. So, no, I would, I would not live in lack thinking you've got to hold something back. I would live on an abundance creative plane and give it your best. Give 20 minutes of your best stuff, and that's how you're going to get more of the right people uh, wanting your services. All right. Uh, and just one other point on this. Do you like the idea that some say, okay, I'm going to give you three ideas and then I'm going to tell you how to accomplish those three ideas by the end of the talk and that kind of real uh, uh, structured idea so that's very clear that by before you leave here, you're going to know this, this, and this. Do you do you like that kind of a structure or that's just one of many? Yeah, it's one of many. I, I It's fine. I mean, that's the old tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them right. what you told them. And that, that's fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it just a, is a matter of, of everybody's individual style. But yes, I, I, I think it's great to let them know what they're going to come away with at the end of this program. You're going to have confidence in meeting a new person for the first time and knowing that you have created the beginning of that relationship. Yeah, that's fine. Now, if they decide they don't want to go the local, they want to go the you know the that's speaker right. route. Uh, how would this person start out? Again, let's just, let me let's use an actual person. It might be more helpful. So I have an accountant here locally that deals only with uh, agricultural problems. So he, all his clients uh, are farmers. Uh, they're like I'm in Florida here, so they're you know farmers of oranges or whatever. Uh, they have orchards, and he specializes in that. And he really knows that field. And now he's retiring, but he's right in the top of his game. He's a neighbor here. He just retired, and now he, he's he's got to figure out what he's going to do. But he really knows that field of accounting. He's worked for someone all his life, though. He's not had his own business, and now he's getting laid off or whatever. What does he do? Okay, well, what does he want to do? Well, he wants to do this, the speaking uh, oh, route. Okay. But, uh, so, so maybe uh, his thing is he is going to uh, – but is he going to work with other accountants who work in that kind of field, agriculture, or does he want to work with agricultural companies? Does he want to be an accountant for agricultural companies? He wants to be more of a speaker, and he's not sure whatever one is the most lucrative. Okay, problem. but as a speaker, what is the value he's going to provide to agriculture? Well, his knowledge of, because uh, I did meet someone the other day like this, and he specialized in it, and he said, I know how to get the best, the, the, you know, to pay the least taxes. And uh -huh. He said, I'm way ahead of anyone in the country. Okay. And then I started talking to him, and I said, "Well, why don't you, you know, try to make this a national thing rather than just a local?" But he didn't really want to do yeah. that. He said, oh, "I'm making enough money doing it. I'm doing it. I'm happy." But, but anyway, let, let's just take this guy that has this kind of knowledge. What, what, 
how is he going to cash in here? Okay, well, and let's say he does want to take this nationally or or wherever. He, he can take it wherever he wants if he's got people coming to him. Remember, also, he can do a lot of coaching on the phone, group coaching, individual coaching. He can do work through Skype. But let's say he wants to speak. So the first thing I would do, first of all, is I would get um, – I would look up Jane Atkinson, who is is one of the premier people on how to market yourself as a speaker. In fact, you can hear an interview, me interviewing Jane, if you go to uh, Berg.com, B-U-R-G.com, slash Jane. And she shows people actually how to develop a speaking business. But let's look at what he might do right now. So the first thing I would do is because he knows the industry, he also knows how to find all the companies, groups, and associations that are in that industry. So he's got that list right there. I think it it would be a great idea for him to write a booklet. It doesn't even have to be a full book, just even a booklet. And it could be 10 ways to say to cut your taxes and your agricultural business by 37% or more. You know, as long as it's something that he can actually back up. Exactly. Good. Okay. He should also have a a, a blog where he gives good, solid, bite-sized pieces of advice every day for that industry. And one of the ways he starts his community on his blog is he finds other blogs that deal with that community or their trade magazines, their online magazines, what have you, and he writes articles for them. And in his byline, so-and-so, so-and-so is an accountant who, a CPA, has worked with agricultural companies for over 40 years and is an expert on saving them, you know, on their taxes, blah, blah, blah. The blog is the committee and so forth. Okay. But he, he also, you know, gets his Twitter account and Facebook and, and LinkedIn, Google plus whatever. So he can connect with people there understanding that it's not a matter of using the social media to promote your services outright. They're, they're just not going to, people aren't going to respond to that, but it's to, it's to provide great, value-based information. And when you do that, people will naturally want to know more about you. All this time, as he's doing all these things, he's contacting these organizations, these companies, what have you, and he's speaking wherever he can at their organizational meetings. The more he does that, the more people, and he should be getting paid for it, but he has to understand how to best communicate his value to them. And once he does, now, he might have a lower fee for speaking at at association meetings. Why? Because he's using those really as a way to get into, right, exactly. Uh, So again, it depends who his targeted market is, who his, his prime buyer is, and what he's looking to accomplish with it. He can also remember, he can get paid for speaking, he can sell his booklet, he can give away that booklet, he can uh, do group coaching, personal coaching, he can do it on Skype. There's all sorts of ways that he can communicate his value and receive quite a bit in return. Now, the monetizing part, some people say, oh, you shouldn't monetize and try to make any money until the first few months, until you got thousands of listeners or whatever. Then others say, no, you should have a monetization uh, platform set up right from day one to make money. What, what do you think feel about it? I think it depends. I, I don't see why there would be any fast rule to say don't make money. I don't really see what what their point would be to that. However, if what they're saying is be willing to do all the things you need to do and provide tons of value in order to build that clientele, then sure. But I don't think it's a, a definite, no, you shouldn't make money for three months. I, you know, but, so I'm thinking Good. I might be taking it out of context in some way. Okay. Just that some profess that uh, 
when you get on the internet and social media, if everything isn't free right off, then no one will listen to you, or you can't build as fast as you could if you gave everything away free. Well, or or maybe just to get their uh, email address. Sure. Well, no, but and, and, well, and that's a legitimate point too. So again, it's I always hate to be dogmatic and say this or that. You know what I'm saying? Because it depends on what sure. you're trying to do. But yes, if you go onto Twitter and start trying to just sell your services outright, no, that that's not going to catch on. If you can be there and, and position yourself as a resource. For information and get people to begin to know you, like you, trust you, that is going to help you in your marketing of your services. Okay. Now, the blog you were saying, start a blog, should you set up a website first and a blog being part of your website or just set up a blog? Well, it's good to have a website and, and you know, that that's now a whole other, you know, type of, type of, and there's many experts on that who, but really it's almost, to me, more important that your, your blog is your home base. Now, again, this is not a steadfast rule in any way. I'm just more talking about gotcha. this particular person, say, who's doing this. I think the blog is really something where they want to build that community and so forth. But certainly to have it as part of a, a, a larger blog, a larger uh, website where you have the about information and you have the uh, list of services and you have the, the sign up here for your free special report or audio or video of this or what have you. I, I think all those things are fine. So I, again, it's not one or the other naturally. Okay. Now on the blog, just for a moment, some say you should start blogging like three times a day and others say once a month and you know there's a whole range there uh if you want to get this thing going is there a point where you've done it too often <laughs> different people have different different theories and different philosophies about that i mean if you blog once a day i don't think you need to ever blog more than once a day i, I mean there's people who do that and i'm not arguing with their model that's their model and it serves them for what they want to do I don't think you ever need to do more than once a day. Usually three times a week is, is fine. And even, you know, after you really get started, I, I'm now doing it once a week. I used to do it three, three or four times a week. I do it once a week now. And I find when I do it once a week, more people are going to see that blog. However, he might find that the blog is catching on so fast, even with a smaller group. Remember, it's not while quantity is also important. We know that it's the quality that really is what counts. Uh, where you're going to make the money. Right, and that's why, you know, the, the more you focus on qu quantity and quality are both important, but the focus should be on quality because if you focus on quality, you're going to build so many great relationships that you're going to have an even bigger quantity of quality. So it, it's okay. both, but the focus needs to be on quality. But it, he okay. might find that he gets so much back and forth response from people that it's that it's really going so he's he's kind of seeing how it works as he's doing it but i would even start you know a couple of times three times a week and don't even worry about not having anyone there even if no one's plugged in right now to your blog you want to have a few in the archives because mm -hmm. people who come to your blog they're gonna if they're interested to, to come to your blog they're probably going to go into the archives and look at what you've got and if they see three, four, five articles, five really great value-based posts, they're going to be much more willing to subscribe. Okay, so you recommend that you, before you actually publish the blog, you might want to have 10 articles or something. Yeah, I, I, would, I would have articles in the queue. Remember, they don't have to be long articles. In fact, they really shouldn't be. 500 words? How I, many words? The most. words? I mean, if you can do 300 words, I think that's even better. But, you know, mine are typically between 300 and 450, and we try to keep them as close to 300 as we possibly can. Now, what if a person says, I'm not great at uh, 
writing, but I could do an audio blog and then maybe have some bullet points underneath it of what it was about. Is that going to work? I think as long as it's easy for the person visiting the blog to handle it and, you know, and, and click it and, and so forth, I think that's fine. But I also wouldn't let your not being feeling like a good writer keep you from doing it. Do these and you'll be you'll probably become a good writer. But you can also have someone edit it, you know. Again, it, it comes down to it's better to put something, something out there, than, yeah. than nothing, the perfect nothing. Exactly. Now, just to go back to the comments for a moment, do you leave comments open after a blog so that anyone could comment, or do you say, no, I'm going to look at them and then decide which ones go up? Uh, and I also, by the way, that's a great question, and I tend to ask for comments. Like, in other words, at the end, I'll often say something like, and what have you found to be, you know, or how do you, what do you think of this? Or can you, would you like to share some examples with the community of how this has worked for you? Get the conversation started. It right. shouldn't be just talking at people. It should be engaging people in conversation, developing that know, like, and trust. And so do I leave it open? We have it on our blog where when someone comments for the first time, it, it needs to be approved. And after that, they're, they're just automatically. Okay. So you kind of trust them at that point. Yeah, but I monitor it. I, I mean, I always see the comments. If someone ever says something inappropriate, I, I would not uh, have it up there. Is there any software that can automatically kick anything out that might have swear words or something in it? I, I don't know about that. I'm just curious. Uh, there probably is, but I don't know. I'm actually not a, a very technical person. Fortunately, my business partner, Kathy Tejanel, uh, she is extremely uh, uh, technical. I mean, she's very good at that. So she she always knows the answers to, the, to those things, but I don't. Okay, so we're we're back to this accountant expert in uh, that particular area of uh, farmers. So he's created all these blog posts. They should be consistent. If you're going to do once a week, you do once a week. You don't want to do six times one week and then nothing for a month. Is that important? I, I, I would be consistent. I think consistency is very, very important when it comes to this. People value consistency. So when they know they can kind of depend on you, obviously the, the trust kicks in a, a, a lot better. All right. So save a dozen blogs that you've written. Sure. So that the week you're not motivated or you can't come up with anything, you've got something. Oh, absolutely. Don't unroll them all at once and then you've got nothing right. for a period. Okay, so he's got the blog going. Uh, he's got the website going. Uh, he's in his first 30 days and he wants to do the national thing. What does he do next? He just keeps doing what he's been doing. You know, you still have to contact the decision maker. You got to find the decision makers. You contact them. You hopefully speak at their events. You, you get a whole lot of no's. You get some yeses and you go to the yeses and you do your best job and let people know how they can utilize your services. And, and you know, again, my feeling is don't just give them your information and, and wait for them to call but have them have something for them to be able to come up and, and hand you their information. One of the, the tricky things is, you know, even saying to people, well, come to the website and you can download blah, 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 and it's free gift. Unfortunately, what we find is a, a lot of people just, you know, from the time they're excited about it then till, till later on, they don't come to the website as excited as they, they might seem to be. So it, it's really important. Some do, but I'm just saying, that these people who, you know, who might be good prospects, you, you want to get their card, their information there. So you're in a position to follow up with them. So you follow up. Don't let them follow up. It may never happen. Right. If it does, great. You know, that's wonderful. But I, I wouldn't depend on it. 
Let's go to the Go-Giver booklet. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, well, the Go-Giver itself is just a short story. It's a, a, a fictional story. It's a business parable co-authored with John David Mann. Uh, John is a fantastic writer and storyteller. He was, he was the lead, lead storyteller. And um, the story is really about a guy named Joe who's a, a young, up-and-coming, aggressive, great potential, but very frustrated young young businessman. And he learned some valuable lessons that will help turn around his business, that will help turbocharge his success. And basically what he learns is that shifting his focus, and that's really the key, shifting his focus from getting to giving. And when we say giving in this context, we we simply mean constantly and consistently providing value to others. And that doing so is not only a, a nice way to live life, it's a very financially profitable way as well. Okay, so the the giving is, and I believe that uh, totally. I mean, as a giver, you're in a much different position than the receiver. If you're always receiving, you're not really going anywhere. You're getting help, but uh, I'd rather be the giver. Well, it, I'd rather be giving out money rather than receiving. You know. Well, in, in sense. Uh, l- well, let me suggest this: giving value to the marketplace mm-hmm. begins the receiving process. Okay, and so the key is to is where the focus is, and this is why John and I say that money is simply an echo of value. It's the thunder to value's lightning, if you will. In other words, the value must come first. The value comes first, and the money you receive is simply a natural and direct result of the value you've provided. Oh, I love it. Now, you have uh, your most recent book. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, that's called Adversaries into Allies. And this one is not a, a, a work of fiction. It, it's a really a how-to book. It's on people skills when it comes right down to it, because people skills is sort of that skill that makes the big difference, <laughs> because a person can really have a lot going for them. They can have a, a great business mind. They can be hardworking. They can be energetic and kind and charitable and have a knack for numbers. And they can be all great things. They can be even tempered and creative and all that's great. I, it's, it's terrific. However, un, unless you can influence others, unless you can move others to the, the appropriate and desired action, it's very difficult to attain any kind of huge level of success. And that's really where people skills come in. What I call positive persuasion or ultimate influence is the ability to obtain the results you want when dealing with others, but in such a way that the other person feels genuinely good about themselves, about the situation, and about you. And the person who can do that, the person who's mastered those skills, is really nine steps ahead of the game in a 10-step game. And in this book, I simply take them through through the steps in a very, very easy to read, very simplified form so that they can very quickly grasp these and take any kind of potentially negative situation and turn people into uh, allies. It sounds like uh, the crux of it is that you have to be authentic. So you just have to find the true value in that adversary. And everyone has some value. And uh, but if you try to focus, if you try to be patronizing or something that he isn't, it's not going to work. But if you really say, you know, you're really good at such and such and you appreciate him for what he he can do, 
that's where you may be able to turn him to your side, I guess. Well, when you say authentic, you're right on the mark. You, you've, you've got to be authentic about this. Otherwise, it's manipulation rather than persuasion. Mm-hmm. You know, Dale Carnegie in his classic How to Win Friends and Influence People, which is a book I suggest everyone not only read, but read and reread and make sure your kids read that book and your grandkids read that book. It's such a, a valuable book. I just bought it again yeah. a week ago. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, it's such a, a wonderful book. And one of the things that Dale said, which I believe was the underlying premise of his entire book, uh, which doesn't mean it was. It means that's it's what I got out of it. But is, is when he said, ultimately, people do things for their reasons, not our reasons. Mm. So the great influencer always questions themselves. They they ask themselves questions such as, how does what I'm asking this person to do, how does it align with their goals? Uh, how does it align with their wants, their needs, their desires? How does what I'm asking this other person to do align with their values? And when asking ourselves these questions, Thoughtfully, intelligently, again, as you said, genuinely, not as a way to manipulate another per human being into doing our will, but as a way to help build everyone in the process. The, the chances that we've come a long way toward earning that commitment from this, that person, that commitment rather than compliance. And uh, it's the person who can do that that is the great influencer. And the person who can do that is the one that really is known for their great people skills. Yeah, I I spoke to uh, an author that's, that's done really well. I haven't interviewed him yet, or anything, but what he I phoned, I talked to him, and he said, "How are you going to help me?" <laughs> is what he said, which you know is a little blunt, but it's true. And that's what most people are thinking. I mean, not everyone will be willing to say it, but this guy is willing to right. say it. Right, exactly. But that's what that is what they're thinking. And especially today, I mean, and of course on the internet, you probably only have a few seconds to prove that. What are you going to do for them? Sure. It better be good and right up front. Don't be holding your good stuff to the end of the talk because they won't get to it. Exactly. That's a great point. Is any more you want to say about that, Buck? Yeah, it's five basic principles we talk about. And uh, control your own emotions, understand the clash of belief systems, acknowledge their ego, set the proper frame, and be able to communicate with tact and empathy. And uh, I simply tell it in, in terms of uh, stories, anywhere from a half a page to three pages where I provide scenarios that everyone who's reading it has either gone through before, is going through now, or will go through at some time, and I provide them with the uh, the way to be able to handle it. And I, I've made it very, very simple so that anyone can read this book and uh, come away from it really dramatically improved in their ability to work with others. Would this be part of the book? I mean, I, I realize it's for sure part of life, but if you have zero ego, and I don't mean putting yourself down, but if you have zero ego and you're only looking at the other person's ego, you're going to probably have a successful relationship. Well, yeah, you know, ego itself is simply, it, literally, it's the I. It's that part of ourselves that understands and realizes that we are a unique human being, that we we pursue our happiness in our own unique individual ways, and that's fine. And when we control our ego we can um, utilize that and gear it toward accomplishing great things for ourselves and for society as a whole. It's when the ego gets away from us, when the ego is controlling us rather than we controlling our ego, that's when when dangerous and unproductive things happen. 
What's okay. what's key is understanding also that the other person, this is where I say acknowledge their ego. I don't mean to out loud say, hey, buddy, you know, your ego, it's getting away from you. Right? <laughs> that will have the opposite effect. But but I mean to understand that if to acknowledge that if this person's saying something, doing something, acting defensively, being a certain way that's that's counterproductive to everyone's happiness and everyone's win, there's a good chance that his or her ego has gotten a hold of them. And we need to be able to understand that. You know, 90% of moving a person to a, a certain idea is really how you make them feel about themselves and how you make them feel about you. And so that's why it's, it's, it's important to understand that their ego is probably going to come into play. You know, now if someone says, well, but is that right? Is that fair? Like, well, you know, it just is. So, just the way life is. You know, we can either acknowledge it or we can deny it, but we're not going to change it. So we need to understand how to effectively and, as you said, genuinely and authentically work within their their ego. So you can't use words like calm down. That that has the opposite yeah. effect usually. Uh, you, you can use them. It probably won't get you the results you want. <laughs> all right. Super. For people to get a hold of you and, and on all your services – how how can they uh, do that, uh, uh, Bob? The best way is just to go to Berg, B-U-R-G, dot com. And mm-hmm. while they're there, I'd suggest they subscribe to my Influence and Success Insights. They'll also, aside from some really value-based information that we send, they'll also be able to get Chapter 1 of The Go-Giver and, oh, okay. and of Adversaries into Allies and to be able to take a look at that and see if they like it. And if they do, they can always then click through to, to Amazon. But they can also check out my blog, and, and you kind of use that as a model for their own if they'd like. And they can also connect with me on social media, all from that homepage, which, again, my brilliant uh, partner, Kathy Tajanel, has, has set up. Well, Berg.com, you were very fortunate to get your name in it. Yeah. Name. <laughs> yeah, well, well, well before. Or maybe you paid for it. Yeah. Well, no. Well, no. Uh, well beyond. Well before the internet really took off and got popular, I happened to know a couple of people who had read my book, Endless Referrals, and they happened to call and we spoke on the phone and they said, "By the way, you want to get a a URL?" I said, "A URL what?" And they said, "A URL." They told me what it was, and you want to get Berg dot com. I said, "Why?" They said, "Just trust us." Get it, you know, get it for $12 and keep it because it's going to be very valuable to you one day. So I actually got it well before I even had any idea what it was all about. Well, any four-letter word are worth thousands and thousands of dollars, any letters. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So to have your own name and have four letters, I mean, it's uh-huh. uh, uh, incredible. Is there any last words that you'd like to, to say to the listeners to, to encourage them? Well, just just again, you know, good luck and best of success in whatever you decide to do. It, it's really all about finding ways to add value to others. Those who add value and solve other people's problems make the most money and they feel great about what they're doing. And again, don't be afraid to learn you know, from, from people like Ken. And don't be afraid to learn from anyone who has done what you've done so that you can cut your learning curve time without trying to invent or reinvent the wheel. Stand on other people's uh, shoulders is a good idea. Exactly. Well, uh, if that's it, uh, Bob, I know I've taken more time than I was supposed to. Oh, that's quite and I appreciate you uh, going over, but it was, uh, it was really good information. I think a lot of people will learn from it. But thank you for today. Oh, thank you, Ken. This has been a lot of fun. And I look forward to maybe talking to you in a few months or a year down the road and see what new books you're doing and what new stuff you're into, if we can talk again. Oh, I'd love that. Thank you. All right, sir. Thank you, Bob. 
Appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Ken. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Income for Baby Boomers with your host, Ken Queen. Helping boomers like you get a business started you can run from your own home. We interview owners of both online and offline businesses, but most importantly, ones that are run by baby boomers. Stay tuned next week for new and exciting businesses that you can start from your home. Until next time, have a profitable and blessed week.